Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host, and I am so pleased that you are spending just a small part of your day with me and my special guest today. His name is Donald Skip Montraugon. No, Montraugon. <laughs> I've been practicing the pronunciation of his names, folks. We welcome Donald or Skip. We're just going to stick with Skip because that's a lot easier to say. He is an Army veteran of 26 years, and he was a full bird colonel, and he is here with me today to share some of his experiences and stories of his 26 years while serving in the United States Army. Thank you so much, Skip, for being with me today on Let Fear Bounce. Thank you, Kim. I've been looking forward to this. So I want to ask, Skip, and in 26 years, my goodness, first off, thank you so much for your service to our country, um, and I... I I thank every veteran, as I believe that they should be thanked for all of the sacrifices and things that they have given, whether it was in peacetime or not, you are always sacrificing something, especially time away from your loved ones and your family. So first off, thank you for your service. And I want to ask, do you have any stories or any one thing? And I know 26 years is a long time, but any one thing that really stands out to you that is something that's just ingrained in your memory forever. Kim, I want to say you're welcome. And I want to thank you, my sister, for your service to our nation. The one thing that probably stands out as the highlight of my career would be my time in Mosul during OIF-1, Operation Iraqi Freedom-1. I was asked to be the OIC, the officer in charge of the 21st Cache North. It, in charge of 220 personnel to be the person overseeing the operations there. Now, the nice thing about the 21st Cash North was that we were in support of the 101st Airborne Air Assault with Major General Petraeus, who was in command there of the Northern Sector. Now, my two senior colleagues were leaving and they turned to me and said, Skip, we think you should be the OIC. And when they said that to me, my thoughts were initially, are you kidding me? <laughs> Actually, it was a little bit more colorful language. Right, right. <laughs> I'm thinking uh, something else, but I didn't say it. They, they explained that to me and they said, think about it. And I was thinking, I know how to give great medical care. I know what a medical team looks like. I can do that. But all that other stuff, running a hospital, logistics, force protection, air evacuation, telecommunications, everything else that goes into running combat support hospital. Are you kidding me? I'm thinking, oh, hell no, hell no. <laughs> I'm thinking no, but I had a conversation some conversations with my wife. I'm praying. I'm having conversations with a senior colleague of mine, Dave Gifford. Dave was on my staff back at Darnall Army uh, Medical Center at Fort Hood. He had commanded several hospitals. And I'm having these email conversations with Dave. Meanwhile, with my wife, praying about it. And Dave says, Skip, you need to rethink this. When they are making decisions there on the base, the hospital needs to be represented by an 06. You need to rethink this. So over the course of the week, I went from 
no and eight no to yes i would like this job i would like to do this job and the verse that came to mind was out of the passage of the book of esther where mordecai is talking with esther where the jews are going to be exterminated and he says esther you need to go talk to king xerxes and she says if i perish i perish but mordecai says but for such a time as this you've been called and she does go before the king and it saves the jewish people for such a time as this yeah so i took the job and that turned out to be the highlight of my medical career the highlight of my army service serving so, there in the northern sector with them. that's that is that's absolutely awesome and i i can only imagine that that you probably had some pretty tough days during that time frame oh my goodness yes <laughs> yeah yeah i i can i can understand that um on on my end just a little background for the last 21 22 years my another lady and i we we co-chair it's called project support our troops and we send care packages every single month of the year for the past 22 years oh, wow. to those who are deployed mm -hmm. and we do that through my veteran post and we had many, many in the medical field that we sent boxes to. Oh, wow. And we would get um, letters back and emails back yes. from them, you know, thanking us, of course, for the stuff that we're sending, but then also just, just venting, mm. you know, or sharing something mm. in emails. Because some of them we kept in very close contact. It all depended, you know? Sure. And, there there was a group that we kept in very close contact with there were 16 of them and only 14 came home oh man and we kept we were in touch with them for 16 months very very regularly with the the gentleman who was in charge of that mm -hmm. group that small mm -hmm. unit and he was maybe i think in his early 30s at that time and he had been in for quite a while and he kept in touch with us and shared things probably he shouldn't have um, and, and shared when they lost their mm -hmm. comrades. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, just from that perspective, from this side of the pond, being able to be a support in that way, even if it's just a listening ear, you know, and learning and being able to read between the lines of what was said and what was shared. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I think most civilians, they can't comprehend or want to actually know what it is that you may go through when you're in a war-torn area and your boots on ground. So I, I commend you for that, you know, a medical hospital and being in charge of that and of being in charge of so many people and everything that that entails, that was a tremendous amount of, of uh, a weight on your shoulders during that time. How did you, how did you carry that weight successfully? Well, first, a lot of prayer, mm -hmm. uh, spending time yeah, in my Bible. I uh, had developed a close relationship with the chaplain, and I relied on a lot of people. What I understood, came to understand, was I didn't have the expertise in so many areas logistics, air evacuations, communications, all these other areas, force protection but I had a great staff. I had an outstanding staff and they had the expertise. They could advise me 
at the end of the day, with their input, I had to make the decisions. I The buck, buck stopped with me mm-hmm. in terms of what went on, but it was with their outstanding input. So that's what made things go. And so it wasn't just all on me. Yes, at the end of the day, I had to live with the decisions, but I had all these wonderful people to rely on. And of course, I had God to rely on. And that was what helped me through this whole team. Plus the support, getting emails from your your family and then the calls I could make home, family and friends supporting. That certainly makes a lot of difference. And you can tell when people are praying for you there. There's just a powerful sense of that. And I tell my wife before every deployment is, honey, the safest place for me to be is in the center of God's will. And if I am there, that's the safest place for me to be. I set out with four major goals when I took that job. One was to provide outstanding medical care. Secondly, to have a seamless transfer to the 67th cash when it was time for us to prepare to leave. Three was to get all of our 220 personnel home safely. And four was to glorify God. When we left Iraqi airspace, I felt like this 300 pound gorilla crawled off my back. When we got into CONUS, continental US, and we got off that plane, I felt like getting down and kissing the ground. I kid you not. (laughs) And I realized when we arrived back at Fort Hood that, yes, we had provided exquisite medical care. When you're in an environment like that, you see the Army medical care at its best. You see things happen and care provided there that is world-class. We did have seamless transfer of care to the 67th cash. We did get all 220 of our personnel home safely. Amen. And I felt in my heart that God was glorified. And with that, I gave such great thanks. And I was so glad and grateful that I did accept that job. Plus, I had the opportunity to interact with, at that time, Major General Petraeus and his amazing staff with the 101st Airborne Division. What an awesome story. Awesome. And and everybody, you brought them all home, all 220. That's a, that's a major, major blessing. And I think for me anyway, at least my opinion is going into it, like you said, before you would leave on deployments, you would talk with your wife and say the safest place for you to be is in the center of God's will. You don't hear a whole lot of people say that prior to being deployed to a war-torn area. And you truly, obviously, truly had total faith in that. And look, look how it worked. You know, God's hand was all over that, even on those hard days that you more than had. Amazing stuff. So thank you so much for sharing that part of it. That part of You're your welcome, journey. Kim. You're that's, welcome. That's just awesome. So do you have any, I don't know, folk, I don't know. Everybody has their goofy stories. Do you have any like those goofball stories or one of those kind of stories that just sticks out in your head that makes you laugh every time you think of it? 
a goofball story. First, <laughs> I remember when we were on first, first on active duty at our first duty station, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I was a captain. We just graduated from residency, had done a civilian residency in Canton, Ohio, made the trek to Lawton, Oklahoma. I had graduated off cycle, so I'd graduated in December. Most graduates from residency will graduate at the end of June. We arrived at Fort Sill, Oklahoma on a bleak, cold, dark day, I remember. It was January the 3rd, and it was dark, you know, overcast, just bleak, cold. I remember that. It's getting the family settled. I'm going back to work. Now, a couple things there with that. First of all, I had permissive TDY. I think it was 10 days or something to get my family settled. Well, the chief of medicine, certain colonel, I won't name him, he was putting pressure on me. Skip, I want you to come back to work. Now, you don't know what you don't know. Because, see, I could have gone to his superior, the deputy commander of clinical services, and said, Colonel so-and-so is telling me I need to come back to work. I need to get my family settled. Would you please speak with him? But since I didn't know what I need, didn't know, the dutiful captain came back to work without getting his family fully settled. Well, that's one thing. Uh, not so funny, but it's things like this where you get pressured and into doing things right. because you don't know. <laughs> now, the story I was getting to was Sherry takes one of our children. At that time, we had three young children. Adam was four, Chris was two, and Angelie was a baby. She's taking him in to see the doctor. And Sherry used to say, the kids never met one of the kids never met a virus when they were out that they didn't bring home and introduce it to their other siblings. So they're going to see the doctor and the nurse asked Sherry, what's, what's your last four? And Sherry goes, last four what? And the nurse replied, last four of your social security, your husband's social security number. You're in the army now. <laughs> and ever since that time, Sherry and I laugh and say, oh yeah, nurse ratchet. <laughs> Oh. That's I think it's fine. And anybody in the military is going to chuckle at that. That's oh, been in the yeah. military. No, another time Sherry's walking across the street. This is a, I don't know, matter of years later. And then we have five children. They're still relatively young. They're walking across the street. I think they were going to bed uh, somewhere on post. And one of the officers, one of the MPs stops, looks at Sherry and the kids and goes, oh, lady, they must all look like their father. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> I used to tell the kids, you guys need to behave yourself because there is no mistake who you belong to. Right. <laughs> right. They will have no problem finding your parents. Oh. Uh, so I, I want to ask you, as a veteran, and I, I, ask, I ask all veterans that I talk to this question, to you, would you have traded any part of your service to this country? Would you have traded it for anything? Would I have traded any part? If I had to do it over, Kim, I've told many a person, I would do it again. I was so proud 
and privileged to serve our great nation. I get to take care of some amazing soldiers, family members, and retirees over the course of my career. I get to do things that I never thought I would do and under circumstances that you think about a little bit before you join the army thinking, okay, the army goes to war, but you don't really understand what that is until you're in those circumstances and, and, and see firsthand what cutting edge world-class medicine can be delivered under those circumstances. And then to see the courageous young men and women who put their lives on the line when you're in a situation like that. And then you are called upon to save their lives, to salvage limbs, and to get them back home safe. That they entrust themselves to us in the medical field to do that for them. That in itself is a great honor. I always consider it such a privilege when people would come and see me, whether in that war zone or there in garrison, when you're taking care of a patient that they've entrusted themselves to me. I would tell residents when I would teach them and medical students, patients will tell you things they won't tell anybody else. Patients will take things that are potentially toxic and follow uh, treatments that are potentially toxic and dangerous at your advice. And patients will allow you to invade their body in ways that they will not allow anybody else. Do not take that charge lightly. That is a sacred trust. Sacred trust. There you go. And you know, I wasn't surprised when you said that you would do it again. Every, every veteran I've spoken to, they've all said the same, I would do it again. And this is from World War II veterans down to the younger generation of today. Um, they said, you know, we would do it again, even though we saw things we didn't anticipate. We had to, right. do, thing, we had to do things that we really probably hadn't thought of doing prior to joining. We would still do it again. And the main thing was the brotherhood and the sisterhood that they all held each other together. And right. thank you so much for your time today, Skip. And those of you who are listening in, thank you once again for spending a small part of your day with myself and my special guest, Skip. And uh, let's fear bounce. So until next time, everybody. Be well, stay well, and be blessed.